get that one video of the little boy up. So Mary and I were in Baltimore a couple of Sundays ago, and there was this little boy named Jace, and he has uh, had a, I don't know, had a disease, and um, his older brother had the disease and died of it at 18 months old. Usually the kids do not make it past 18 months, and so it's a miracle that he's two years old with this disease. And part of what happens is the muscles don't develop, and so uh, their kids are not able to walk or stand or anything. So it was a miracle that this kid was living to 24 months old, uh, was able to stand, but had never walked. And so on Sunday, Mary and I uh, uh, prayed for him, and so the next day, uh, they posted this video. Isn't that good? Come on. What a good God. You know what? If there's anyone in here that's got a child with some disease you're just scared of, Lord, we just release the testimony of Jesus. Lord, the same blood that was shed for Jace is the same blood that was shed for your child. And so, Lord, no matter how scary the diagnosis, we stay fascinated with Jesus and what you've done on the cross, and we say that it is enough. Even if you're listening to my live stream or podcast, just receive this in the name of Jesus. I just break off that fear of worst-case scenario. It will always be this way. And now we just release goodness in the name of Jesus. Amen. Actually, we have a, a second video coming up. This guy, I believe, is a, a parable for us today. So we'll interpret the parable here in just a second. So. Thank goodness our kids have never acted like this, right? It's only those other people's kids. I think this is a parable of many Christians' lives as they approach a difficulty and it's, ah, it's so big. The devil's after me. I'm not big enough. I can't do it. And you call three friends and call it prayer requests. But you're really just complaining about how heavy the spoon is. The word Christian means someone who is acting like Christ. So if you were to look at uh, so many Christians who are acting like Christ, you would expect to read this in the parables, okay? And a man from Galilee said to Jesus, how are you doing today? And Jesus replied, verily, verily, I say unto thee, the devil's after me. Everywhere I turn, trials and tribulations. It's allergy season and I've tried everything. Rebuking the devil in between sneezes, 
claiming that they're just lying symptoms and that I'm really healed. My camel broke down. I smashed my thumb with a hammer at the carpenter shop. I don't know how much more I can take. God, why are you doing this to me? Don't you love me? Are you punishing me for something? Am I cursed because my grandfather was a mason? How much longer, Lord, must I go on like this? I can't take it. I must have a bullseye from Satan on my back or something. I've been rebuking the devil, making declarations every morning. I fasted. Call the intercessors. Get my name on the Elijah list. Satan has unleashed his hordes on me, and I don't think I can take much more. I think I'm going to change my name to Job Jr. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. I think, other than the Job Jr., I've heard every one of those statements out of Christians' mouths. And it's an attempt to play this victim card. It doesn't feel good to be the victim. Like, 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 like you're just trying it like, oh, it's horrible. It's this and that versus, you know what? God's allowing these things to come in my way because he, he knows that I can overcome them. He wants me to taste victory firsthand and not just read about it. Oh, well, there's a different perspective. You have to understand any difficulty that comes in your life is there by permission because you have authority over it. If it's in your life, it's because you have authority over it. You have the victory over it. Otherwise, God would not have allowed it into your life. I remember I got a text from a guy one time, and it was the wrong number. And so he had uh, texted me like some scripture verse, and I put, who is this? And he responded, Brother Todd. I'm like, Brother Todd who? And he's like, sorry, wrong number. But do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? And I was like, yeah, he's everything to me. How's your relationship with Jesus? And he put, you know, trials and tribulations, but I will make it somehow. What's he saying? I can't lift this bowl to the sink. It's so hard. Trials and tribulations. Again, we got to get out of this victim thing. Trials and tribulations, they will come. We don't get a pass from this as believers. When you became a Christian, it's not like, you know, hot fudge Sundays and parades every day, and it's just amazing after amazing. But it's solution after solution. And it's in that solution that you gain a strength and you gain a firsthand knowledge of who he is. And now you've got a real estate that you've taken. This used to be your comfort zone. Now this is your comfort zone. Now this is your comfort zone. You can actually break off the bread of your own life and begin to feed other people with it. It's important to understand where the battle's taking place. Look at, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, this is verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging f- war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What's he saying? Our fight is not a normal fight. It's not human to human. If you can hug them, your fight's not against them. Uh, if, if Facebook could get that message... It would solve a lot of issues going on right now. Hey, the battle's not against it. There's, there's something behind it. But here's the other part of this. is He says, um, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Here's the thing, gang. You need to realize, it's not a fair fight. You're not going up against the enemy in your strength. You're going up against the enemy in God's strength. Now, too many believers, they're going up against the enemy in their strength, and they're Job Jr. They're the victim. They've got problems going on nonstop. You can have problems going on nonstop, but if you stay fascinated with Jesus and fight in his strength, you'll be walking on top of those problems. It ain't a fair fight. Verse 5, we destroy arguments. I want you to listen to the realm that this warfare takes place in. I think a lot of people are picturing like some cosmic demon versus this and that. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Listen to where the warfare is. Arguments, opinions, knowledge, and thoughts. The battleground is in the realm of the mind. 
uh, one of our favorite speakers that we have here, Steve Backlund, he said, uh, the highest level of spiritual warfare is to take every thought captive. What's going to happen? Discouragement, disappointment, shame, all this stuff. And when you begin to partner with it, you begin to come under it, you begin to become the victim of it rather than renewing your mind and saying, hold on, hold on. (laughs) That guy died in the baptismal tank, buried with Christ. There's this new person that needs to be driving the car of my life right now. That victim person, they ain't going to do a good job. I know I'm using the word ain't. It just feels good. I hesitate to even use the term spiritual warfare. Okay, Spiritual warfare implies that there's a battle between two enemies, one of whom has yet to be defeated. Boy, let's see who's going to win this one. Guys, boom, it was, it was done at the cross. When he said, it is finished, he didn't say, I'm finished. It wasn't like, oh, I can't take it anymore. This bowl's so heavy. Take this from me. No, 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 that's not what he said. It's done. It is done. God does not need you to defeat the devil because the devil has already been defeated. It's the strangest battle you will ever fight. Because if you begin to try to defeat the devil, you're moving into self-righteousness. Because the enemy has already been defeated, and we are standing in the victory of Christ. We're going to look at what that looks like here in just a second. So we're going to continue our series here through um, Ephesians chapter 1. This is part 10 of the series, and we're finishing chapter 1 today. Can you believe it? I'm going to miss her. I'm going to miss her. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin again in verse 17. In our, uh, from the Passion Translation, and right in the middle of a Paul, right in the middle of a Paul, right in the middle of a prayer that Paul is praying for the church here in Ephesus, I pray that the Father of Glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the Spirit of Wisdom and the Spirit of Revelation to know Him through your deepening intimacy with Him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of His calling. That is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. So we've spent weeks uh, going through this prayer. What I want you to see there is we don't have just a little bit of God's power available to us. It's the exact same power that Jesus walked in, the same power that raised him from the dead is now available to us. We've got to get rid of this poverty mentality of, you know, I've just got a little squirt of his power, and if I could just have more of this and more of this, the whole uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is, you have access to everything that Jesus has access to. It would literally bankrupt heaven to give you any more because you have access to everything heaven contains. That's verse 3. And so he's praying this prayer, Lord, open up my eyes to see what I've got. I can't figure it out with my head, so uh, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see. This is an unveiling. It's like the curtain's being pulled back on what's there. So here's what I'm going to focus on today, uh, verses 20 through 23. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead. I want you to see what happened to Christ. Let me just give you the title of today. I feel like I'm talking a million miles an hour <laughs> because I'm excited. Jesus' total victory is your total victory. Okay? The, The same way that he defeated the devil, you have been united to that victory, and now you move from that place. You're not coming from a place to defeat, not a place of, I wonder if the same authority that Jesus has over the enemy, you are now standing in that place, and when you fight the forces of of darkness, you're fighting from a place of victory, not trying to get to a victory. Okay, so listen to this verse. This is bonkers. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. 
And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. And he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. And now we, his church, are his body on earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. He's giving you this picture of a head and a body. And this head is the leader over everything that can be named, anything that can be imagined. And he's like, you are now joined to that and this union is now going into the world and filling it. The same authority that Jesus has, you now have access to that authority because you are united to him. Above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. Um, any name you can think of, Jesus' name is over that. Cancer. Genetic disorders. Poverty. Mental illness. The Michigan Wolverines. Anything you can think of. His name is higher than that. I want you to think of this. As high as God is above the grasshopper, he's that far above the devil. A lot of people think the opposite of God is Satan. No, no, the opposite of Satan is Michael the archangel. He's a created being. God has no opposite. He could snort and wipe out all the hordes of hell in just one, one breath, one thought. He's not up there breaking a sweat. Okay? Instead, he has chosen through people who are in love with him to subdue the enemy. He wants them to taste the victory that he has tasted. You're part of the family business now. It's called the kingdom of God, and it cannot be stopped. There will be a day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and uh, we will reign forever and ever. That's, that's where this thing is headed to. Okay, And so what starts here, it begins to spread. It starts as a seed, and it grows into the tree that gives shade to everything. John 19.30, he said, It is finished. All the payment and work for our sins was completely done. <clears throat> and so he had some work between the cross and the resurrection that made it all possible. So some people teach that when Jesus um, he died, he went into hell and he was tortured. Um, that is baloney. That is the stupidest doctrine. There is no scripture from that. When he went into hell, he had complete victory. I want you to, we don't have a lot of pictures in scripture of what happened when Jesus died on the cross before he ascended into heaven. We do know that he descended into the netherworld, into, the, into that realm. And uh, I want you to listen to Ephesians chapter 4, what happened here. I want you to see the total victory of Jesus because this is your victory. Verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, now he's going to be quoting Psalm 68, okay? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. End of quote of Psalm 68, verse 9 now. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the Christ, for the building up the body of Christ. Paul's making it clear that when he descended, the Old Testament word was Sheol, the uh, New Testament word would be Hades. He descended into this realm, and he said, to give you a picture of what happened, he quotes Psalm 68. So how many of you have ever read this verse and you went back and read Psalm 68? Anyone done this? All right. Um, I don't know why I asked that. It just, I just did. <laughs> You don't get a special prize, so it's not like a lollipop under your seat, but anyway. Um, Psalm 68, listen to verse 1 and 3. So this is the psalm that he's quoting to show you what Jesus did when he descended. 
Okay? May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. They took the largest word in Greek and they just made it plural. I'm sorry, Hebrew. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. And when you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Are you seeing this picture here of the, of the triumph of God? It's an Old Testament passage when God would come and fight on behalf of Israel, and they would win, and they would take captives, and what they would do is they would tie a rope around their waist, they would strip them naked to humiliate them, and they would lead them in a procession before Israel that they would see that the enemy was completely defeated. And he's saying, this is the picture of what Jesus did. He died on the cross. He said, it is finished. I paid for everything. Listen, if you were the devil, your number one goal would be to make sure Jesus did not rise from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, it showed that the payment was accepted. If he could keep it, even if he could just keep him longer than three days, because Jesus said it would last three days. I mean, this was his main focus to do this. And so if he could just keep Jesus from rising from the dead, all would be lost. Okay? Instead, here's what happened. Oh, we're going to get a picture here in Colossians, but here's the picture from Ephesians here, is that he went down into this netherworld, and he stripped the enemy of their powers, and before the whole spiritual world, he led them in a procession with a rope around their waist, stripped of their powers with a hook in their jaw, and completely disarmed and humiliated them before the whole spiritual world. That's what was going on during those three days between crucifixion and resurrection. Listen to this picture in Colossians 2. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, this is the message translation, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. I bet you didn't know that was in the Bible. His total victory was your total victory. When you use the name of Jesus, the demons recognize, they remember that moment when they were stripped of their authority. It's not a formula, it's a relationship. When you're using it in faith in relationship with Jesus, the authority that Jesus stripped them of is now being enforced in that situation. Revelation 20, it describes uh, the cross as the devil being bound with a chain. He no longer has any power. In Psalms, there's this wonderful expression, you have broken the teeth of evil. You have broken the teeth of evil. Here's the picture. Is, um, there were shepherds in the Old Testament, and sometimes wild dogs would come, and they would try to, attack the, try to attack the sheep. And so, remember that passage, your rod and your staff will come for me? Well, um, the staff was this long stick that had like a club on the end. And so the shepherd, he wouldn't be able to take them out one by one. Too many sheep would be lost. So what he would do is he would take that club and he would smash the teeth of the dog. So now they had no teeth to be able to attack the sheep. He's saying this is a picture of what God did to the enemy. You have broken the teeth of evil. The cross of Jesus has broken the teeth so that the devil has a whole bunch of bark, but he has no bite. Unless you believe he does. The only power the enemy has over you is deception. 
And he'll roar, and he'll throw shame, and he'll throw guilt, and he'll throw a circumstance. And he's waiting for you to cower in fear and partner with that. And when you partner with that, you become a slave to whomever you obey, is what Romans 6.16 says. That's why, that's why we're going back to the cross, and we're, just, we're staying fascinated with him, and we're recognizing, you know what? Jesus triumphed over all of this stuff. And we're going to see um, next week, he said, hey, um, I'm up here. Why don't you come and sit and reign and rule over this situation from this position? We're going to learn how to think from the throne room next time. The devil goes about like a roaring lion. Jesus didn't just defeat Satan. He actually united you to that victory. Um, let me just skip a few verses, Ephesians 2, 6. We're going to spend more time on this next time. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. I mean, that's like one of those verses like, come on, God, like, I can't take anymore. I cannot, it's too heavy, it's too heavy. The words raised and co-seated, they're in a verb tense which indicates something that God has already accomplished in Christ. This isn't like, okay, when we all get to heaven, what a day ever, this isn't talking about that. It will be a day of rejoicing. So many people are so focused on the sweet by and by, they forgot about the sweet here and now. We're not waiting for the millennium to set everything right. He's waiting for a group of people who get it to bring on earth as it is in heaven. I don't doubt when he comes he's going to fix any leftovers, but he gave you and I the keys of the kingdom. He told us to occupy until he comes. Okay? It's left behind books, they're in the fiction section for a reason. We see that we are already seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places, and we are looking down at Satan's greatest princes, and they are under our feet so that nothing could ever intimidate us again. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. I tell this story. I've told it before, and I'm just going to give this little preface to it. I haven't always been as saved as I am right now. Okay, so this, this is one of those stories that just reflects that this is... The physics test story. So when I was at the University of Michigan, the, uh, we had a professor there and, uh, who taught the uh, entry-level physics class, and he had a grant from NASA. And in order to renew his grant, he had to come teach the lowly physics t- uh, students. So he didn't give a rip about us. And so he would be up there writing all these formulas, and then all of a sudden he'd go, it's all wrong. Just come back tomorrow. So we're taking notes furiously, and then, you know, it was just, it was just total confusion. So when it came time for the test, we were all very nervous because we were very confused. And so, um, and so one of the things they did is the professors, they would put old exams on file in the library. And so I went to another campus that he had taught at, and I thought, well, maybe he put some you know, old tests on there. So I went and Xeroxed them all off and everything. And so I'm kind of studying my notes in the book, and I'm a little nervous, but I'm studying the test. So I go to take the first test, and I realize, boom, this is the exact same test that's in the library. And so I kind of did like, you know, medium okay on it because I wasn't like totally prepared for that. And so I decided to go all in on a bold strategy. (laughs) I decided, you know what, I'm going to assume that every test from now on out is going to be the same test as this thing. And so I am studying the test. I'm learning nothing about physics at all, but I'm learning these tests. So the next test comes around, boom, 100%. And so they grade on a curve, and so like I'm the curve buster. It's like hundred, like people are literally getting thirty and forty percent on these as like the next highest scores. So I'm like the physics god among insects. It was unbelievable. 
They're like, who, who is this guy? And it's like, yeah, it's me. And so, you know, test three, boom, 100%. Test four, 100%. So when it came to the final, which was a cumulative, so it was everything to be tested on, people are literally like having panic attacks. They're stressed out of their minds. Not me. I had the test. This is literally what happened. It was a three-hour exam. I stroll in there. And, um, and so they had a, uh, uh, so there was people trying to cheat, and so they had like people us all separated by like assigned seats. So I'm kind of like, pretty much in the middle of the room. It is dead silent in there. Everyone's in a panic. Twenty minutes into the exam, boom, I'm done. <laughs> and it was like the theater si- style seats, and so I made a dramatic stand up, and the thing went. See one. I began to make the walk down to the front. Everyone's like, "Is that the physics god? Oh my goodness." Like, do not worship me. I'm just a man. I go down to the front, and this is literally what I said. I said, I was hoping you were going to challenge me this time. Boom, slap it on his desk, walk out of the room. <laughs> I haven't always been this safe. Stop your little judgy McJudgertons. What does it look like to fight from victory? It looks like walking into your test, walking into the trial, knowing you've got the answers. My confidence was not in my ability to understand physics. (laughs) My confidence was in another source. Okay, when you're walking in this, you're not all fat and sassy coming against the enemy. Okay, your confidence is in the fact that you have been united to someone who won such a spectacular victory. You're coming against a situation of financial lack. You're not going to go, it's so heavy. I don't know what I'm going to do. What about the price of gas? What about North Korea? What about this? What about... You're not worried about all this stuff. You have been united to this victory, so you're literally walking into that exam. Say, man, I'm completely confident. I've got the answers. His name is Jesus, and I'm going to tap into that realm. I've got some really good news for you. Um, Demons do not have babies. You know why that's good news? Every power that you will encounter, whether it's the subtle forms of gossip or whether it's the overt powers of the occult, every demon you will ever face has firsthand experience of being stripped of their powers and of humiliation at the cross. They know exactly what happened, and they're scared to death that you will figure out what happened. That's why I said it's a weird warfare. It's not one where we stand and are trying to defeat something. The thing's already been defeated. Now they're roaring. And what does the Bible say? It says things like this in Ephesians 6, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. Um, Stand. Stand. There's this awesome scene in Star Wars Episode 2, The Clone Wars, um, which is one of the only awesome scenes. That movie was terrible, uh, which pains me to say. But there's this scene where um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and... um, uh, Anakin, the, so they're, they're, you know, the two young Jedi knights, they're the good guys, for those of you who aren't as geeky as me, and they're going up against the bad guy, Count Dooku, the evil Sith Lord, Count Dooku, boo, okay, and so the Sith Lords, they could uh, take and they could shoot blue lightning out of their fingers and, and shoot him, and so there's a scene where he is, um, uh, so the bad guy shoots um, young Anakin and just throws him and it just humiliate, humiliates him. But then he goes to the master Jedi and he begins to shoot the Sith lightning into them. And uh, if you remember what Obi-Wan, he holds up the lightsaber and it just absorbs all of the lightning and he says, I don't think so. I love that picture. That's a picture of standing. There's not flailing, not fighting, not rebuking between sneezes, not doing all these things. It's I'm standing. Jesus 
finish the work, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to, I may have to renew my mind. I may have to praise to get myself uh, into that mindset, because when you're praising, what are you doing? You're going back to your seat next to him who is above all things. You're getting, you're not working yourself into some frenzy. You're going into reality. You're singing about it. You're renewing your mind into it. The Holy Spirit comes and begins to make it real to you. You can't figure this stuff out. We, we, it's a surrendered heart that receives revelation. Holy Spirit, you're good. And he and begins. And when you're praising, when you're staying fascinated with Jesus, what you're doing is you're coming into your rightful place as a co-heir, co-seated, co-raised with Jesus. And you begin to rule over that situation from his position, not yours. Stand. Having done all, stand, that you might resist. Guys, that's not fighting language. Okay? Hey, what's our battle strategy? Stand. <laughs> okay, what's after that? You, you see, this is a weird war because your part is to remember what has been done. You do have a sword. There may be a time where you need to say, in the name of Jesus, shoulder pain, leave. Demon, come out. Uh, if you've ever been to junior high youth camp, it's the strongest argument that Christians can be demon-possessed. You may, you may need to use your authority. It's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. Actually, you left and went to a different church and left me with youth camp that one year. Um, yeah, that was amazing. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm having a flood of memories there. Sorry about that. When I know what Christ did, when I know how defeated Satan is, when I know who I am now because Christ who lives in me, I know that darkness must fall. And it can come subtly through gossip, discouragement, or it can become overt. I remember I was uh, speaking in Colorado a few years back, and uh, this church, they were scared to death of witchcraft and demons. And so I was praying, I did like a weekend there, and so I was praying for some people, and they're manifesting demons, and I would just lean down and be like, you know, my, here's my healing, my uh, um, deliverance training for you. Shut up and get out. That's pretty much demon training. <laughs> That's how you get rid of them. So I just lean down and like, get out of there, you know? And so they come out. And so they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's not afraid of demons. I'm like, what, what you guys are like afraid of demons? This is, this is how Christians have fun. <laughs> this is Christian recreation is demons. They're all like Velcro, easily removed and they leave no residue. <laughs> so this is what I did. I got up to the microphone, and the place was, it was, it was a big church that was full, and I said, listen, I said, if there's um, any, it was a healing thing, and so I said, if there's any witch doctors here, any people in the occult, I'm going to invite you to come up on stage and demonstrate what kind of power you have, but then I get to go second. Nobody came up. I said, hey, gang, I'll be here all week. If you've got any friends, bring them up here. I'm not looking to do some power down challenge. I'm looking to see the reality of what's going on here. Why could I make that statement? Because I, I'm not doing it in my, in my power, in my strength. That would be foolish. Okay? Flesh versus a demonic principality, bad news for the flesh. Okay? But when I'm recognizing I'm hidden in him, I'm enforcing that defeat on those demons who by experience know that they're stripped of their powers. I remember when I was um, about 10 years old and we lived in Kentucky, there was a snake and I was playing basketball. My dad's like, Stop! And uh, there was a snake, and uh, I was frozen in fear. I still hate snakes. I don't even like worms, to be honest with you. I don't like, even like long threads coming out of clothes. It still freaks me out. I don't like it. And so the, um, so the snake it, uh, it, like, reared up in like, like the snake cobra position. And his dad's like, stop. So he went and got this baseball bat, and he smashed it. it smashed its head into the ground, and its tail was still wiggling. Okay? Um, there's a verse in the uh, Old Testament in Genesis that says, He will crush the head 
of the serpent. Quit acting like the bowl is so heavy. You need to recognize the head is smashed. It may still be wiggling. It still may look yucky. It ain't going to do anything to you. A few years later, I went to the, uh, many years later, I went to the Columbus Zoo. And um, uh, these snakes were much more poisonous, much more deadly. And you know what? I wasn't afraid of them because they were behind, behind the glass. I'm tapping on I'm making fun. I'm not worried about these things at all. When you approach the enemy, they're poisonous, they're powerful, but because of the cross, they're behind glass. No Christian has an excuse to moan about the enemy. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are a thorn in the side of the enemy. We are on offense. We have the ball. We're not on defense. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in his triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Oh, you don't know, man, my workplace is so dark. It's just so hard there. I know my neighborhood. Oh, I think, I think the, it's the cult capital. Of the, listen, gang. He always leads us in his triumph in Christ in every place. It's a weird war. It's a weird war because the enemy has already been defeated. So our part is to begin to think from the throne room, which we'll talk about more next time. But I want you to just get this picture. His total victory is your total victory. So we're going to end by memorizing a passage of Scripture together. Does that sound good? Yeah. We've memorized this one before. Is it, is it, do we have Psalm 16:8 up there? I can't remember if I sent you that one or not. Oh, we do. Okay. You guys ready? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Did I get it right? Okay. That may be embarrassing. We're going to memorize this one. Okay. Let's say it again. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. They got never, not be shaken. Okay, one more time. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now with your eyes closed. I have set the Lord always before me. I see you peeking. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Um, Get in groups of two or three, and what's the situation that you need to set the Lord before this coming week? Maybe you've got a difficult meeting. Maybe there's some uh, trouble at home. Uh, maybe there's a financial situation. Maybe there's uh, some, some type of situation that needs healing. But what is a situation that you're saying, you know what, I need to set the Lord before this and just take authority together. Lord, I just thank you that you are leading them in victory in all times in every place. Okay? So we're just going to take about two or three minutes, so don't, don't go on too long. Introduce yourself. You've got breath mints. Everyone loves that. And so just uh, uh, introduce yourselves around. But just groups of two or three. What's the situation where, hey, I need to set the Lord before me. And then just, boy, just two or three sentence prayers. Switch people. Go for it.
Hey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. I forgot it was on. Why don't you guys take another 30 seconds and we'll uh, close it out in prayer here. All right, just a few more seconds here, and we'll bring it back together. Well, gang, is that good news today or what? His total victory is your total victory. As high as he is above the enemy, that's where your authority goes. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. So we'll press into this some more tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow, next time. Uh, Before we close, let me just ask this. Is there anybody in here... And uh, you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You've been hearing us talk about the victory of Jesus. 
and, um, and just, you know, his rulership. And maybe it's a little bit new to you, but you're hearing this and you're like, you know what? I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, the gospel message in two words is trust Jesus. You're not just trusting what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross. That's a start. You're trusting him with your everyday life, with your finances, with your family. You're looking to learn from him how to be like him. You're saying, boy, Jesus, I want as much of you in my life as possible. And of course, there'll be heaven when you die, but he wants to get you into a different realm now called the kingdom of God with him. And so if you're here and you're like, listen, I am done leading my life. I want Jesus to lead my life. I want to receive him as forgiver. I want to receive him as leader. And uh, again, you may not understand all that. I sure don't. But with the best that you have, you're willing to take that leap and say, God, I, I trust you. I trust you. I want, I want you in my life as much as possible. And I want as much of my life in you as possible. If you're here this morning and, and you'd like to just do that, Jesus made this promise. He said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So we don't want to embarrass anybody, but we do want to give you an opportunity to respond. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to do it boldly. Is there anybody in here and you do not know Jesus, but you would like to you would like to trust him today, or maybe you fell away and you're coming back, but this is a, a fresh start. I was like, ask you to raise your hand. Anybody in here? I want to trust Jesus today. It's probably the one with their heart pounding, their mouth dry, and their palms sweaty. Is there anybody in here fitting that description? Awesome. Good. Thank you. Anybody else? You want to trust Jesus. You want, to, you want as much of him in your life as possible. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And um, boy, if, if you didn't raise your hand or maybe you're watching by, uh, by live stream or you did raise your hand, appreciate that courage. And uh, let's just pray together. And um, if you want to join, you're welcome to do that. But um, I'm going to say some phrases and then you just pray it to God in your own words. Sometimes when you're repeating a prayer, you're just thinking about the next phrase and you don't get to kind of connect to what it means. And so, um, again, if you're watching by live stream, you're listening or uh, you responded this morning. Uh, Jesus, I love you. I want to know you. I trust you. I believe that you're real. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you today into my life as a gift. I want as much of you in my life as possible. Teach me every area, my family, my kids, my finances, my workplace. Show me how to live in your reality. Thank you, Lord. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd encourage you to come up to our ministry teams. We've got some things to help connect you. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand, and we're going to, we'll close in prayer here. I know we went a little bit longer today, but I, I appreciate you guys uh, being hungry. And since we went double the time, you guys only have to come half the time this month. How's it? No, I'm just teasing. It's bad. <laughs> it's only an 8% tithe for you now, so no. So, uh, Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. You're so good. Lord, I thank you that you, uh, guys, I forgot to tell you this. I felt like the Lord told me the last 20 minutes of worship was for five people. So some of you may have been like, you know, it just wasn't connecting to me. And um, you know what? Sometimes uh, parents serve the kids. And so maybe, you know, you were, it wasn't for you. But, uh, boy, it sure was worth it for those people. And uh, I'll tell you what, I would hold up a service and waste your time for those five every week. And so, um, so yeah, just keep that in mind. 
If God's not touching you, he, he, uh, he's doing somebody, he's, he's actively uh, loving on somebody else. Lord, we love you. Lord, I bless your people. I bless them to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio. I think that they are a thorn in the side of the enemy, that every morning when they wake up, the devil says, oh no, they're awake. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that we're on offense. So, Lord, when we go into our schools, we go into our workplaces, we go into our homes, or we go into governmental offices, or we shop, I thank you that we have solutions. Lord, not notches on our belt, but, Lord, love and fruit for your kingdom that remains. So, Lord, I pray for boldness this week. Lord, I, I thank you that hopelessness is being struck down. Lord, I just thank you that people are catching a revelation of financial prosperity so they can be more generous. Lord, we just say more of that. God, you're just awesome. I just, I can't get over you and I don't ever want to. I love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.